Good morning. I'd like to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a few announcements that I want to remind us of before we begin our services. There is a women's uh, soup luncheon here Thursday at 11 o'clock. At when? 11.30. And if you, uh, all you ladies are welcome to come. And then uh, a reminder that on the 11th month, the 12th day, we have our business meeting to elect our officers of church the pastor, and uh, to go over a budget for the next year. And that same day, we will have our Thanksgiving dinner, and all will be invited to come to that. Is there any other announcements that we need to make from anybody need to? Jimmy? Okay. And usually we get... Is it 40 or 50 of those that we? Okay. Okay. Well, it's a cold, rainy day out there, and I'm thankful that the people have come to be warmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jimmy? But they're going to bring us an inspiring message today, and I hope everybody will be attentive to that. And for my call to worship, I am going to read out of Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength, a present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth shall be removed, and though the mountains shall be carried into the midst of the sea, and the waters thereof roar, being troubled, and the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Yet there shall be a river, the streams whereof shall make glad a city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. For Zion shall come, and God shall be in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her right early. The heathen shall be enraged, and their kingdom shall be moved, and the Lord shall utter his voice, and the earth shall be melted. The Lord of hosts who shall be with us, the God of Jacob, our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he shall make in the earth in the latter days. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in asunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire, and saith unto the nations, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts shall be with us, the God of Jacob, our refuge. Let's open our hymnals to number 187. We'll stand, and I'll bring the invocation.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. It is in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we gather in this sanctuary this morning, giving the praise, the honor, and the glory for another day. And Father, we invite thy Holy Spirit to abide with us. And at this time, we pray for Bud, Heavenly Father, that you use him as an instrument in her hand to bring the message you desire for us to hear this day that will help us draw nearer unto you. And this I pray in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Welcome this morning to the house of the Lord. I want to start this morning before I give the scripture reading with a recommendation. I always try to bring a book that uh, has an important message. And this one is by a man named Dennis Holy. And he uh, compiled writings from 66 different authors that he interviewed. He used to be a talk show and uh, radio and TV talk show host for 20 years. And I had not heard of him until some probably 20-some years ago. I was in a 12-step program, which he had authored a book for, and it's titled, Are You Happy? I want to read a little bit of an introduction that I've prepared. He's got 59 different con uh, contributors that are authors within this book, and it's talking about, you know, the course to happiness. He says, we in America are guaranteed freedom in the pursuit of happiness, yet happiness can be extremely elusive, even more so than success. And, and you look at the, the history of those who have been wildly successful in natural man's estimation, where they're celebrities, they're rich, they have everything that we think we want, and yet they wind up in such despair and depression that they take their own lives. So what is the course to happiness? So Dennis started out as a talk show host. He began to recognize his own failings and his own unhappiness, and he started asking his guests these three questions. What percentage of Americans do you believe are happy? What's the course to happiness? How do people become happy? And are you happy? And that was born out of his own frustration and his own despair and his own depression and he summarized it up that at the end of this journey, he said the reason he was so unhappy was because he was selfish and because he was addicted to things that were mood-altering, trying to find something to fill the hole in his heart that only the Holy Spirit can fill. And so his determination was, Happy people are unselfish. For them, happiness is an attitude. It is part of their being. He further states the importance of strong faith. And if you look at all the different 59 contributors in this book, there's a common theme in what they've offered to us from their life's experience of how to become happy, and it's this. You have to be committed to a greater cause than yourself. And I want to add this. There is no greater cause 
than we can, that we can be involved in than serving God and building his kingdom. That's what we're called to. There's no greater cause. There's no greater path to happiness. And this morning's scripture that I want to uh, read now for what is preparation for today's sermon is the one that is probably most commonly quoted. It's the one that if you ask anybody what's your favorite scripture, half of them at least are going to respond with this one. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In preparation for Bud's sermon, let's turn to hymn number 358. I'd like to start with a prayer, if you'll bow with me. Heavenly Father, we've come into this holy sanctuary. Father, we, we come in anticipation of having a meeting with you and your Holy Spirit and to fellowship together, maybe to learn something from the spoken word. Father, I pray that you will work within this setting, that your Holy Spirit will communicate and interpret 
the message that you desire to be given. In the name of mighty Jesus, I pray. Amen. There's a doctor who is a Christian who did a test. And he wanted to attempt to verify that we are spiritual beings first. You know, what we notice about ourselves is we're a physical being. We have intellect. We also have a spirit. So he put a person who is basically in hospice, in a hospital kind of a setting, and he put them upon something that would weigh their body as they died. And here's what became of that. When that person died, they lost three quarters of one ounce, which is 21 grams metric weight. So those who believe that life just terminates with physical death and that from that point on there's no consciousness, how are you going to explain that? Because that was the weight of the spirit, which is life force energy, leaving that physical body, made a 21-gram metric difference. It was measurable, scientific proof that we are first spiritual beings. I've mentioned the book uh, several times. I'm going to mention again this morning by M. Scott Peck. It's The Road Less Traveled. He's a national best-selling author. And the whole point of his book can be summarized up in this one thing. It's life is hard. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with my own personal story, but I'll tell you this. Because life was hard for me, I chose to believe that if there's a God, and there probably is, I don't know that there is, I don't know that anybody can really truly understand beyond a shadow of a doubt and be convinced and know for a fact there's a God. Well, maybe there is, and if there's a God and there's a heaven, I'm okay, I'll be all right because I'm basically a good person. That was what I thought. Until I encountered Christ. And he completely changed my understanding of everything about life. But all of us have probably had some kind of painful trauma. And this brings the inevitable question of why. If there is a loving God, why do we have such deep pain? How is it that some people are just in this loop of trauma? Some people more than others. Some people seem to have like a golden boy kind of an existence. They don't really have the kind of troubles that you notice. Other people are so enmeshed in trouble and trauma, you just go, how can that be? And that person is really tempted by adversarial spirit to think, if there's a loving God, explain this to me. We may uh, uh, find ourselves imagining that if God created all things and is the author of all things, he's responsible for all things and therefore he's to blame. And if that has occurred to you, if that's what you've thought, I want to propose a model this morning for a reorientation of that thinking. One might even say the natural course of human thinking is to blame others for our problems. And if God's in control, ultimately he's been either negligent or guilty of causing our suffering. And if so, if you had that thought, listen closely for the next few minutes. Matthew 5.45 says, God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. 
I'm going to interpret that in this way. Even if we haven't accepted the Lord, even if we don't know if we believe in the Lord, even if we are atheists and don't believe in God, He's going to let it rain on you and bless you like He does those who have accepted Him. He is ever-present in every life that's ever been born trying to work for their good. But it's a battlefield. It's between heaven and hell. It's between ultimate good and ultimate evil. And there's... uh, There's a lot of room for misinterpretation in that. But let me present a model to analyze life as we know it. It begins with a simple question. If there is a God, what is his role in our lives? What's his role in my life? Because we're looking to assign blame for the misery and the suffering of our life. Where's the true target? There's a simple explanation behind that cloud of confusion that we're always trying. The philosophers in the earliest recorded history were posing the question continually, it keeps coming around to those who have high intellect, why am I here? I'll give you the answer to that. There's an ultimate good and there's an ultimate evil. Life is hills and valleys, good times and bad times, joy and sorrow. So it doesn't make sense that the two doesn't it make sense that the two extremes of good and evil can be an explanation as that model for understanding our traumatic experiences. Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 6. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Let me put that in a paraphrase that's easier to understand. In the beginning, Jesus, who created the world and everything in it, created all the universes that exist, that's infinite. That that thought right there is more than I can comprehend and wrap my brain around. That makes me want to hide under the bed, that it just goes forever. God has created everything. And Jesus, in the beginning, created the earth and all of us and everything that exists by his spoken word. And in the beginning, according to Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 6, God created man to be his companion. So God also gave man the gift of agency, which is freedom of choice. Sometimes we think, at least I used to think, this was a mystery to me. If I give my life to God, what does that mean? Who am I left from that decision forward in time? Does that mean I become a puppet? No. It doesn't. That was Satan's plan. That was Lucifer's plan in the beginning. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. Our agency is sacred to God. He's not going to take us from that. Sometimes we we might want him to because we get tired of our own foolishness and, and bad decisions. I got to a point where I didn't want to make any more decisions. I thought, I'm too stupid. I need a 12 step program for stupid. I need to walk in and sit down and then get up to a microphone and say, Hi, folks, my name's Bud. I'm stupid. And everybody could go, Hi, Bud. But God gave man agency to make the choice to be his companion as he was created to be or make the choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden. When God created the Garden of Eden and put Adam and Eve in it, he said, Here you are, perfect setting. Eat anything you want except 
this one tree in the center of the garden, that's the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat that, you'll die. And Satan came, lying, that's what he does, and told Eve, the reason he asked you not to eat that fruit, it's knowledge. You eat that, you'll be a god as God is. And so Adam and Eve thought, sounds like a good deal. And that was the fall of man. That was the beginning of sin. What happened when they ate the apple, or whatever it was, the fruit? They didn't suddenly know everything and have all power, as God does. The first thing that happened was what? They felt shame. The introduction of sin that causes us to be separate from God and feel the negative experience of those emotions of guilt and shame and fear, the things that destroy our lives. So then, what's responsible for the pain that we want to blame God for? Where do you want to point your finger when you're saying, why am I hurting? It's the choice of sin. That's where pain comes from. It's responsible for all sin. And I learned something recently that I think is really profound. It's summed up with this. The blessing is the curse, and the curse is the blessing. It took me a minute to get my head wrapped around that one. But it's because with every event, there's our agency in how to respond. And it falls to each of us to determine the outcome. Romans 8.28 tells us that all works together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Those who have responded to that call and chosen to be a part of the kingdom of God. For those, everything can work together for good. That is where you find the truth in. The blessing is the curse and the curse is the blessing. If we respond correctly, we can use any opportunity to look to God for help. And he will. Pain comes to us all, but suffering is a choice. To choose more sin as a remedy to pain, if, if, if sin is the cause of pain, if we choose sin to remedy our pain, we're looping. More pain, more sin, more pain, more... It's an endless loop of destruction and, and despair. If by our trend of choices, we make that choice to remedy pain with more sin, we become a selfish person. We invite more pain. Selfishness itself is a sin, and it creates a path of greater sin and therefore more pain. So what's the remedy? If we seek correct focus outside of ourself, we find a path that offers companionship with God which is the reason we were created. If we focus on God, we find the remedy for pain and not that endless loop of, of greater and deeper pain. And here's the profound truth. If you look back at that first thing that I said that was uh, by Scott Peck, that life is hard, here's the secret. If you work hard at it, 
life can become easy. Er, maybe not always easy, at least easier. It means do the hard things first. If you seek to be divinely right in all things, being right with God the Father, you invest in self-discipline. You become balanced in selflessness instead of lost in selfishness. You seek to have a personal vision for your life that is in harmony with and inspired by God's vision for you. And to put it simply, selfishness makes you to be your own enemy. Selfishness puts you as your own God, as Adam and Eve thought they were choosing, and separates you from the closeness of God that he desires for you. And he offers to deliver us from that sin because he loves us. He hasn't designed pain and suffering for us to live in and endure. He loves us enough to give us all a choice in everything. And our choice is called agency. And it's sacred to God. If we had no choice, we could not prove our love for God in return for him first loving us. And the scary thing is, we all use our choice to defy God at some point. We go against him and seek to have our own way, and we wind up in sin and rebellion. It's simply human nature. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is spiritual death? It is separation from God. The cost of sin is separation from God forever unless that cost can be paid. And how can it be paid? If we are a sinful person, how can we pay it? How can we pay the cost of death because of sin if we ourselves are sinful? It's impossible. There has to be somebody who is without sin. Pay that. And there's only one who can ever be capable of making that payment. Because that person has to be completely without sin. That means it has to be God himself. And so he did. He sent his son Jesus Christ to prove that he loves us. And Jesus, as God, do you think he was taken by soldiers by force? John 18, 4, 6 says, Jesus knew what was coming when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew they were coming from for him. He knew that he had been betrayed by Judas. He knew he was going to be taken and beaten half to death and die a horrible death on the cross because that's the worst thing that the Romans knew how to, to bring death to somebody was by a painful crucifixion. That was the worst thing they knew to do, and that's what they were going to do to him, and he knew it. But when they came for him, he knew they were coming. He went out and greeted them and said, Whom do you seek? And one of them said, Jesus of Nazareth. And here is Jesus, the one who created the entire world and everything in it by the spoken word. He said this, I am he. And the power of those words coming from him knocked every one of those people who had come to, to take him to his death, knocked him over backwards and they fell on their backs. The power of his words. Do you think he went against his will? He volunteered himself. 
And that goes beyond our understanding. How, how could we be worth him paying that cost, deliberately choosing to be beaten half to death and then killed in the most cruel way possible? How could he choose to take our place, to take your place? Because he created you and he loves you. He first made you in spirit, and then he created you in your mother's womb and brought you forth in the miracle of birth. And so I'm telling you this morning, you are a miracle. And you may be sitting there saying, what? I'm not a miracle. I know myself. I know my faults. I know my flaws. And I say to you, yes, you are. You are a miracle created to be a companion to your creator, Father God. And he paid the cost for you. All you've ever done wrong and everything you will ever do wrong has already been paid for by Christ on the cross. He invites you into his presence, into his kingdom, as his child. He loves you. Don't refuse to believe he loves you. Because the pain that life has dumped on you, you may have a hard time accepting that, but it's true. Recognize that all of the pain you've ever felt is caused by the other end of the spectrum. It's caused by evil, the person of Satan. But Jesus has already proved his love for you, and so once you realize that, what are your options? And there's only one that makes sense. Who would choose to live in pain and darkness and misery separate from everything that is good and that brings everlasting love and life? Who would choose that path? Do you think it's reasonable to continue on that path, even if unconsciously, if you don't understand that that's what you're doing? Because there's not a fence to sit on. There is a choice, and God says, make it today. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua 24, 15. Either choose the one true God or the false gods of this world or choose to be God yourself. And I can tell you for a fact, that brings death. That brings despair and death. No man knows what tomorrow holds. There is no promise the choice will be there tomorrow for any of us. When I was in college, I worked in Florida on a door-to-door -door sales job. I was selling Bible dictionaries and a 10-volume set of family Bible uh, studies. And I went all through Sanford, Florida, knocking on doors. Hardest job I've ever done in my entire life. And at the end of one day, I knocked on this one door, and a lady answered the door, and she looked rough. I mean, she did not look like she went to church on Sundays. But she invited me in. And we sat, and I went through my sales presentation, Bible dictionary, Bible study books, and she politely listened, but it was obvious I wasn't going to make a sale in that house. But that sales pitch opened the door to me to talk to her about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she was attentive for a few minutes. She was listening. I could tell the Holy Spirit was doing something there. And then it's like a curtain closed. And I knew that, okay, she's had the invitation to accept Christ, and she's not going there. She stood up, and when she stood up, I knew, okay, it's time for me to go. So I thanked her for her time, and I left. And the next morning, I came back to that same street, that same 
neighborhood because that's where I'd ended the day before. Came back the next morning, and I was starting to knock on doors, and there was two women standing and talking in their front yard. I'm going to say, I don't remember the woman's name that I had talked to the night before. Let's say her name is Mary Jane. The two women were standing in the front yard of their two houses. Did you hear about Mary Jane? She went to get groceries last night and was in a car wreck and died. I just sat on the lawn. It was sobering. And I don't typically, this is the first time I've ever even told that story to, to a congregation because I don't want to be guilty of playing on emotions to try to get a response. But I want to clarify the urgency of God's invitation because it's not just about heaven and the future. It's about today and the quality of life that we live. So I ask again, do you accept it as a reasonable path that you be separated from God in both this life and the life to come because you wanted to be a God of yourself? Because that choice ultimately does lead to death. What is offered by God in this invitation is a reasonable response to an unreasonable situation, which is to live in pain and confusion and ultimately full separation from God. Imagine in this life, we're never completely separate from God. He reigns on the just and the unjust. He blesses everybody. And I'm a testament to that. When I was completely out of my mind for 10 years, running wild, he spared my life repeatedly. He blessed me in multiple ways repeatedly. And so it only makes sense to accept the out and accept the in. The out is of, out of darkness and death. The in is into light and eternal life. Out of increasing pain and into the warmth of his presence. He invites us to bring everything in us that is broken and hurting and give it to him at the cross and trade it for the process of divine healing. Romans 5.8 says this, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we respond to his love, we recognize that he first loves us. And we discover that because of that, we can only make one reasonable choice, and that is respond to his love by loving him in return. If that invitation causes a feeling of resistance, fear, uncertainty, or any, you know, if it's just fear of the unknown, recognize that for what it is. Because here is what his promise is. He offers freedom. He offers living water that quenches thirst forever. He offers divine companionship with his Holy Spirit as a guide and a teacher and a protector and a friend. The Holy Spirit is God himself, and he's offering for us as our physical body that houses our spirit, for him to come with his spirit and live in our body with us, and be our companion and guide. Let me tell you what a guide can be. Imagine that you're taking a vacation somewhere and you're flying to this marvelous destination, which, you know, somebody made a sales pitch and said, I'm going to take a vacation there. So you're flying 
on this long journey to get to that destination, and you're flying across this vast wilderness that is mountainous, it's trees, it's rocks, it's wild animals, bears and wolves, it's things, you don't want to be there, you want to be at the destination. Well, it's, there's, a, there's a problem with the airplane and it goes down. And you're out there in this wilderness, and you're injured, but you survived, and you're recognizing, man, I don't know where I am, I don't know where I need to go, all I know is I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and I'm not going to make it. What's the best thing that could possibly happen to you? Let's say there's a, a, a mountain man that lives out there in the wilderness, and he hears the plane go down, and he comes and finds you, and he says, let me bind up your wounds and guide you out of here. That's the kind of guide that Jesus is, the Holy Spirit. He knows the wilderness. He can guide you from the dangers. John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. John 15, 9 says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I want to reread that and take it from past tense to present tense. It'll have a little more impact, at least it does for me. And Jesus says, as the Father loves you, so I love you. As the Father loves me, so I love you. Abide in my love. So here are the steps. This is how to accept Jesus Christ. Step number one is you pray what is called the sinner's prayer. Step two, you accept him as both Savior and Lord and pledge obedience to his word, his scripture, to allow him to teach and guide you. Part three is you commit to the process of allowing him to create in you the character of Christ as described in scripture and as guided by the Holy Spirit who is now within you. And let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit is within you, you may want him to talk to you all the time, but he doesn't. He's silent most of the time. I get frustrated with that. I want to know more. I want less of me and more of Jesus. And yet he says, I gave you a brain. You've got agency. Read my word and know what is right. Make those choices. And occasionally he'll talk to me. And half the time I argue with him because I don't believe it's him. I need to find that 12-step group. Hi, I'm Bud. I'm stupid. If you commit to be baptized into the body of Christ and his church... You lay down the old life as in burial when you go under the water by immersion in, in water and baptism, accepting new life in him as in the resurrection when you come up out of the water. You're accepting new life in Christ. The old man is washed away. I had not heard for a long time, even though I went to church, about being washed in the blood. That's what happens. The blood that sh sh was shed by Christ when he was beaten half to death and hung on the cross. It's by his death and by his shedding of blood that we are cleansed from sin and invited to join him in his kingdom. And part five, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands by the elders of the church to have the Holy Spirit dwell in you as God in you. And step six, 
You commit to be his from this day forward, forever in his care and keeping, empowered by his Holy Spirit to endure all the struggles and adversity that life brings in complete faith that he is with you always and forever with no looking back. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when I say nothing, in the verse of Scripture, there's 25 things that are listed that are the nothings. 25 words of life, death, principalities, powers, beast of the field. Just all these 25 things. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, part number seven, you commit to being part of his kingdom and to be engaged in your best endeavor to fulfill the calling of the Lord's prayer to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And that becomes the path to happiness, the path to peace and joy. It's not going to be fully found anyplace else because that is the greatest cause that man can undertake. That is the greatest presence of God in your life. When you're fulfilling the reason that you were created, which is to be his companion, working with him to fulfill his greatest desires for you, to abide in his love. And if you choose this, what follows next is an adventure beyond your wildest imagination, doesn't it, Bill? You are then riding shotgun with God, the creator of all things. You are co-pilot in a flight through life with the creator and sustainer of life. You will never again be completely and utterly alone. You are fulfilling the purpose you were created for, to be a companion to Almighty God. And today you're invited. I'm going to ask that you pray with me. If everybody will bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer. Those of us who have already accepted Christ, we do this regularly. We recognize God as our Father, Christ as our Savior. We recognize we need sanctification in relationship with God. Some of us probably wake up with that prayer thinking, God, it's another day I need you. Every first Sunday of the month we come and we, we share bread and wine as a sacrament service to recommit our lives to Christ. This is what we as Christians do regularly. If this is new to you, if you've never prayed a sinner's prayer and asked God to be a part of your life, I invite you to just, as I pray this prayer, you can whisper it, you can say it silently within yourself, but join me in this prayer. Father God, I thank you that you have given your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for my admission into heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for you sacrificing yourself that I might be in your kingdom with you. I accept that invitation. 
I ask you to come into my life and come into my heart. Recreate in me a character that is closer to your character. I bring everything that is broken in me. I bring all the sin in my life and I lay it at the foot of the cross and I repent. I ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Recreate in me the person that you first created me to be as a companion to you. And I dedicate myself to that. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In closing, I want to introduce you to my card. It's just got an American flag on it. And it says, my card. It's got my name and my phone number. I'm retired. That's why it says my card. It doesn't say what I did. It doesn't say what I'm going to do. But you can use this to call me. If something I have said this morning rings questions in your mind, I wish I could stay, but my sis and I are on the way to a funeral as soon as we're done here. Take one of my cards. I'm going to put them out there on the table in the foyer. Give me a call. There is nothing I enjoy more than talking about Jesus Christ. And I invite you to give me a call. Thank you, Bud, for listening to the Holy Spirit. For Truly, we've all been blessed by the words that you brought to us this day. I'd like to remind everybody, tonight at 5 o'clock we have class in the back. And we're going to close our service today with the scene of uh, hymn 395. We'll stand, and then Paul, would you bring a benediction? 395.